14. Matthew 14 and verse 34. Since it's the Lord's Supper, we're going to take a, a break from our usual series going through the fruit of the Spirit, which we've been doing in the evening. We'll finish that, Lord willing, next uh, Sunday night. But today, I want us to look at a passage connected in a way to the Lord's Supper, and that's uh, Matthew 14. We'll start at verse 34, and we'll go to verse 20 of chapter 15. And uh, just like this morning, there is an outline in the bulletin, and uh, for any of you who are at home uh, this afternoon, it's been emailed and on Facebook. I'll read from the New King James again. Let's uh, give our attention as I do so. This is the word of our God. Matthew 14, verse 34. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, that's Jesus, they sent out into all that surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch." Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. That brings us to the end of our passage. When I was involved uh, with the Navigators College Ministry when I was in college, we used an illustration to help us present the gospel to unbelievers. And in the uh, illustration, we're trying to explain to people the separation, the great chasm that exists between us and God as a result of our sin. And so we used the example of someone trying to swim from Hawaii all the way to the coast 
of California. Now, you can just imagine yourself being there. It's a beautiful sunny day, 76 degrees, blue skies. You're on the beach in Hawaii, and you're about ready to dive off the beach, get into the Pacific Ocean, and swim to the coast of California. Can you do it? Well, of course, we all understand. No, certainly can't do it. Well, Michael Phelps is there with you. He's on the beach. He's one of the greatest swimmers ever to exist. Can Michael Phelps do it? Of course, of course, we understand. No, you can't do it at all. Now, uh, if you uh, have a boat with you and you take time to sleep at night in the boat, yes, you can do it. And people are doing that now. So you look up on the Internet, people have actually made the journey from Hawaii to California. But swimming nonstop, that's the point, cannot be done. It's absolutely impossible. It's over 2,000 miles and no one can swim that far without stopping for a break. Well, as we see in our passage this afternoon, the same is true with legalism, right? Or keeping the commandments of God in the hope of gaining acceptance with God. It gets you nowhere. It can't be done. You can try. You may think you're getting somewhere, but it's impossible. It is absolutely impossible, no matter who you are, no matter how long you've walked with God, no matter how godly your life might be, it's absolutely impossible. And that is important, you understand, for us to know, even as believers in Christ, because we all tend to be legalists at heart. We may not admit it, we may not always realize it, but we all tend to be legalists at heart, and what we need to do instead is rest. Not physically rest, so wake up if you're getting sleepy, but what we need to do is rest spiritually in the work that Christ has done for us and that we see displayed for us in the Lord's Supper. And so that's the main point I want us to see this afternoon. Here in these verses, we are called to combat our legalistic tendencies by remembering the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. We're to combat our legalistic tendencies by remembering the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. That's what I want us to see in this passage. We're not going to be able to look at everything in this passage, but that's what I want us to focus on today. So let's look at the first point here on your outline, which is you and I naturally tend toward legalism. Chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, we read, Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. So I alluded to this earlier, but one of the things that the the Jewish leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees were known for doing at the time is that they came up with all of their own man-made rules. And in their mind, this would help the Jews keep God's law uh, by uh, their adding to God's law. And so this was called the tradition of the elders. And in the tradition of the elders, there were a multitude of rules on various aspects. And one of those rules was uh, that you were to wash your hands. This was something that the Jewish leaders were very concerned about. Before you ate a meal, you were to wash your hands. Now, boys and girls, that's a good thing to do. Before you eat a meal, you should wash your hands. And as we now live in the day of COVID, this is something I feel like every bathroom you go into in public, there are the signs. You must Wash your hands. And we're being told to wash our hands. Well, for us, it's to maybe get some dirt off the hands. But it's also, we're washing our hands so much, it's to get the germs off our hands. This wasn't exactly why the Jewish leaders were so adamant about washing your hands. For them, it was all about not becoming ceremonially unclean. That's what it really came down to. 
Because, and this is really why they created the whole tradition of the elders in the first place. They believed that it was your ritual purity that made you acceptable to the Lord. So if you were ceremonially clean, that meant you were also clean in God's eyes. Right? So, in other words, if you don't wash your hands, how's God going to look at you? That makes you unclean ceremonially. Therefore, you're not going to be right with the Lord. And so you put that together, we understand that the Pharisees were legalists. And this, was, this was at the heart of what they believed. This is at the heart of what they did. And we see that come out in many different places in the New Testament. For instance, think of Paul. When Paul talks about his past life as a Pharisee, how does he describe it in Philippians chapter 3? He says that his confidence was in the flesh, right? which is a way of saying that he believed his works are what made him right with God. So, going back to the passage, the Pharisees confronted Jesus, saying, your disciples don't wash their hands. Why? Because they thought that was a way to be right with God. That you had to be ritually clean to be clean in God's eyes. And I want to ask you this afternoon, have you ever found yourself thinking something along those lines? Maybe not washing my hands is what makes me right with God. But for instance... If I don't fill in the blank, right, read my Bible twice a day, have family worship, come to both services, etc., if I don't blank, then God is happy with me. Or flip it the other way, right? God loves me because I blank. Right? It might be one thing for you, a whole different thing for me. Right? But we do, if we're honest with ourselves, tend to think these things, at least subconsciously. We may not say it out loud, but we do tend to think and function this way at times, as if what we do or do not do is what determines the love of God for us. Because, I would argue, we are all pharisaical legalists at heart. And this is why. You read your New Testament, there's warning after warning in Romans, in Galatians, in Ephesians, in Philippians. Don't put confidence in your own flesh. Why? Because that's what we're prone to do. We're prone to be just like the legalists. Dan Doriani explains it this way. He says, by nature, we all have an appetite for legalism to seek God's favor through rule keeping. So as sinners, that is our default setting. And we have to come to terms with that. Now, as we see secondly on the outline, we also need to understand that legalism gets us nowhere with God. It gets us absolutely nowhere with God. And as we look at our passage here this afternoon, there are three reasons why that's the case that we can draw out of this text. And the first one is because legalism often leads to undermining the authority of God's word. Legalism often leads to undermining the authority of God's word. So I've mentioned already, the Pharisees, they have this own tradition of the elders. All of these man-made rules for one situation or another, again, because they thought it would help them keep God's law. And if they kept God's law, that gave them God's favor. But what ended up happening is that they had God's law and they had their traditions. But the traditions became so important that this is what happened. So instead of having helpful applications that would aid you in keeping God's word, all of a sudden you have man-made rules and God's word being on par with one another. And whenever you do that, this becomes lower. God's word becomes lower in its undermined and its authority, which, of course, God is not pleased with 
in any way. And so, for instance, this is what happens whenever we think, my one hour quiet time a day, that is what keeps a smile on God's face or whatever it might be. Whenever we start thinking that way, we're doing the same thing. Right? We're bringing our traditions, our applications up to be on par with Scripture. And any time we do that, we're taking the foundation out of Scripture and displeasing the Lord in doing so. So that's one reason. The second reason legalism gets us nowhere with God is because it can be used as a disguise to hide our rebellion. It can be used as a disguise to hide our rebellion. Now, Look here at chapter 15 and verse 3. He answered and said to them, this is is Jesus, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? So so they come accusing Jesus. Jesus, your disciples aren't washing their hands before they eat. Jesus, he doesn't even really interact with that. He just turns it right back on them. And so instead of explaining himself, he goes on to say in verses 4 and following that the fifth commandment, so Jews, listen up, the fifth commandment, is all about honoring your parents. This is what he's saying to them. And that includes caring for them physically. That even includes caring for them monetarily, if that is needed. But, you Jews, in, in your tradition of the elders, you say that we can dedicate our money to God instead. Right? And that practice was known as Corbin. Some of your Bibles may have that, which means dedicated to God. Which, okay, in some sense, sounds like, well, that's, that's kind of a, a nice thing to do. You can say... Mom and Dad, here's the money I would give you to take care of you, but instead of that, I'm going to give it to God, and that seems like a noble thing to do. But here was the issue with the practice of Corbin. Outwardly, it looked like a good thing to do. Inwardly, it was just an excuse for sin. Because you could say you were giving it to God, and yet not actually have to give it to God. You were just legally withholding it from your parents. So it looks like a good thing on the surface, but inwardly, it's just an excuse to get what you want and to keep the money for yourself. And that's how the Jews, by and large, employed that practice. Well, it's the same thing with legalism. When we are being legalists, we don't really want to repent and obey. We just want to get into heaven. And so we strive to have some semblance of obedience so that we can feel like we're going to get into heaven. But really, at the heart of it all, we're still just living for ourselves, doing whatever we want. And that brings us to the third thing, which is legalism gets us nowhere with God because it's sheer hypocrisy. It's sheer hypocrisy. Look at chapter 15, verses 7 to 9. Jesus gets right to the, right to the point here. He says, Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Commentator Mark Ross says of this, Outwardly they look very pious, but in reality it is pious hypocrisy. Such religion finds no acceptance with God. And again, so it is with legalism. Right? Even if we don't elevate our own man-made rules to the level of Scripture, even if we don't use outward obedience to disguise inward rebellion, all legalism is hypocrisy. Because we're going about all of it our own way and not God's way. So legalism gets us nowhere with the Lord. It's like a trail that you took by mistake. You think it's going to lead to your destination. But when you get to the destination, you realize I've been on the wrong path the entire time. And this is not where I want 
to be. And that's how it is with legalism as well. It's a deadly trap. Jesus says here in verses 13 and 14, it will not save you from the judgment to come. Because as Paul puts it in Romans 3.20, by the works of the law, no human being will ever be justified in his sight. And that's because, and this brings us to our third point on the outline, only Jesus Christ makes us right with God. So look with me now uh, at chapter 15, verses 10 and 11. Uh, When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, this is Jesus, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. So go back to the Pharisees. They say, dirty hands are what defile you before God. Jesus says here, no, it's not dirty hands at all. It's dirty hearts. That is the issue. That is what truly makes you unclean in the sight of the Lord. It's not what goes into you like the Pharisees thought. It's all about what comes out of you. In other words, sin is the issue. Verse 19 of chapter 15, Jesus goes on to clarify, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. So here he's confronting the Pharisees, and he's doing it for our sake too, that they have it all wrong. Sin is the issue, what comes out of our fallen hearts, and that is what keeps us from the holy God. It's not what happens to be on our hands or does not happen to be on our hands. It's that our hearts need to be made clean. So to put it a different way, to bring it to home to us, right, we can wash our hands all day long. That's never going to get us into heaven. Or more specifically, we can read our Bible all day long. We can come to every worship service and every Bible study and every prayer meeting and have every instance of family worship and we can love our spouses to the day we die faithfully and do all of these good things and yet those things will never ever get us into heaven. Now don't hear me uh, incorrectly. All of those things are important and all of those things should exist in our lives but those are not the things that will make us right with God and that do make us right with God because our hearts are dirty. And there's only one person who can cleanse our hearts. And of course, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Go back with me now, chapter 14. And let's look again at here, verses 34 and 36. Here Matthew says, When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent out into all that surrounding region, brought to him all who were sick, and begged him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. If you were ceremonially unclean, say for instance you had leprosy, the Pharisees would not let you get anywhere near them, lest you you defile them. They, They would keep you at a distance. And yet what do we learn here about Jesus, our compassionate Savior? He lets the unclean come straight up to him, and he even lets them touch his garment which no Pharisee would have allowed at the time. And what happened as a result? They're made perfectly well. In an instant, there's a total transformation. Why? Because this is what Jesus does for those who are sick spiritually. He gives the cleansing that we all need and that only He can provide. And this is why, for instance, Paul says in Philippians 3, 8, and 9, 
Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. I think of the cross here for, for example. When Jesus was on the cross and about to die, what are some of the words that he said? Well, of course we know this. He said, all right, I've done my part. You go do your part. Right? That's what he said. No, what did he say? He said, it is finished. Which is a way of saying, I've done everything. And there's nothing left for you to do. My kids are young. Sometimes we'll play a little, I told you, I guess, about a silly game we like to play last week, Steamroller. This is another little silly game we like to play. We haven't done it in a while, but it's dad asked the question, how much does daddy love you? You dads, I'm sure, I hope you've played something like this before. And of course, the kid says, oh, daddy, you love me this much. I said, oh, I don't love you that much. Oh, you love me this much. Oh, I don't love you that much. Oh, no, dad, you love me this much. And of course, it's just a... Silly way of kids and dads, you know, expressing their love for one another. Of course, you know, I love you this much. I love you to the moon and back a million bajillion times, as we like to say to each other. And uh, at the risk of uh, uh, being trivial here, how much do you think God the Father loves God the Son? Just a little bit? Maybe this much? This much? No, it's infinite. And that is the same amount of love that God has for you if you're a believer in Christ. Regardless of what you've done, He loves you that much. You don't have to do any more work to get Him to love you. You should do the work because you love Him and because He loves you. But you don't have to do any more work to get Him to love you. He has already loved you enough. And He loves you perfectly and fully and infinitely because of what Christ has done for us. And so in light of that, this brings us to our fourth and final point. We need to resist the temptation to be legalists or combat our legalistic tendencies by remembering the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. So if it's true that our defilement is from within and not from without, and if it's true that by faith we've received complete cleansing in Jesus Christ, then what does that tell us about the gospel but that the gospel is the antidote to our legalism. Right, this is what I want us to close with and to see here. In other words, if we are to kill legalism in our, in our lives, the one thing we need more than anything else is the gospel of Jesus Christ. A heavy daily dose of the gospel. Because whenever we fall into legalistic ways of thinking, it's always because we've forgotten the gospel. In one way or another, we've lost sight of our sinfulness, we've lost sight of our inability, we've lost sight of what Jesus has done for us. And so instead of working to gain God's favor, we need to seek to grow in our understanding of the gospel and of the work of Jesus Christ for us. And this is the one practical point I want to give you as we close, is that if we are to combat our legalistic tendencies, we need to strive to know the gospel in its fullness. Now, you might be thinking, but Adam, I know the gospel. I've been in the church my entire life. I could tell anyone in the world right now what the gospel is all about. And here's my word of challenge for you this afternoon. 
Do you really? Do you really? Do I really? Of course, no. There's always more for us to learn. We may understand some of the gospel. We may be able to give a a full-orbed presentation of the gospel. But we don't fully understand or appreciate the gospel. Paul says in Ephesians 3, verse 8, that the riches of Christ are unsearchable. Now, that's not to mean that we are to cease from searching for them. Of course we are to search for them. But it's to say that our searching will never come to an end. Because there's always more and more and more and more for us to understand about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. There's a book by a guy named Jeremy Walker called Life in Christ. And uh, in, in, in this book, he says that Christ is like a palace full of countless rooms. So use your imagination here. That Christ is like a palace full of countless rooms. And in each of the rooms is filled to the brim priceless treasures. Each treasure being of infinite worth and infinite beauty. And there is so much of this infinite treasure in this palace that should we revisit any of the rooms we've been to before, there will always be more for us to take in. Because no matter how long we've been there, we've not yet found all of the treasure there is to be found, let alone the worth of all of the pieces of treasure. And think about that again. The gospel is so much more than a few facts. The gospel is a palace of countless rooms full of countless treasures. And even if we've been in the same room our entire lives, there's more treasure we haven't even found yet, let alone have come to fully appreciate. The glories of Christ and the riches of Christ are unfathomable, so no matter how far we dig, there's farther yet to go. And that, I want to submit to you today, is how we should combat our legalistic tendencies. That we would make it our pursuit to seek Christ and the riches and the glories of the gospel all the more, looking for them deeper and deeper. Jeremy Walker says there is always more to be found and always more worth finding. So let us seek the gospel that we would rest more and not be legalists. Let's pray for God's help to do that, especially as we think of coming to the supper here in just a minute. Lord, as we have considered briefly this passage today, we do pray that you would convict us of where we operate as legalists. We pray that we would be reminded afresh today of the necessity of resting in the work of Christ. Lord, that he is the one who has done the, given the obedience to you. And it's through his obedience that we are right with you by faith. So, Lord, help us to believe that. We pray that the supper would be, in a way today, a visible, a visible picture for us of the gospel. Uh, so that we would understand even more today what you have done for us and how great your love is for us. Lord, write this on our hearts today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to sing.